Good morning. Thank you guys for joining us in person or online as we begin our new series on the emphasis and values here at Church of the Valley. About once a year, we attempt to provide a type of series that is more topical than we tend to do each week, which is to teach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage, and specifically to make sure that we all understand what we do here as a church, why, what the emphasis is, what our values are. Today, we're going to emphasize our emphasis here at Church of the Valley, and that is the gospel. And before we speak about the gospel, let me explain what I mean by emphasis. Everyone has an emphasis. It might be the thing you speak most about, the thing you focus on or filter your life through. It might be where you get your identity from. It might be what you idolize. It might be what you're known for or what you want to be known for. It is what we hold as prominent and important. And a prayer that I believe God has personally been answering for me in the five years that I've been a part of this community is that we would emphasize the gospel of grace above all else and make decisions with the gospel as the filter, to see the scriptures, the word of God through the filter of the gospel, to treat others with the gospel being of first importance. So as leaders and those in the church that serve, as we discuss things, the gospel isn't an add-on or an afterthought, but the main event and the point of why we do what we do. And while we have not arrived, there is no guarantee that we will always focus on this gospel, but by God's grace, I have seen men, women, and children engage in this community knowing full well that the emphasis is the gospel of grace expressed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So before we get too deep into the sermon, let me begin with the outline of today's message. So if you like to take notes, here's a simple note, and we always encourage people to take notes. You want to know why? Because there's a test at the end of the service. It's called takeaways. So here is some of what I want you to write down if you're taking notes on your phone or writing them down the old school way. The gospel saves, sanctifies, seals, and is shared. The gospel saves, sanctifies, seals, and is shared. You notice they're all S's? Yes, I'm proud of myself. And for the next few moments, I hope to unpack each of these S words as we walk through what and why the gospel is our emphasis as a church community. Also, we will be quoting and teaching many different short passages from Scripture, and I highly recommend you at least write down the biblical references, because generally what we do is we'll take a passage like the one I read, Isaiah 53, and we'll just walk word for word. But today, we're going to do it a little bit differently, and the hope is that maybe you write down some of these references so you have time to study them on your own. Now, to get really clear, the word gospel gets thrown around a lot in a few different ways, especially within the church. Gospel can refer to a type of music. Think sister act, okay? Or it can refer to, in its plural form as the gospels, as the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and? Good job. Which are the explanations of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. It's a big part of the gospel term that we try to emphasize every single week in whatever passage we're teaching from the scriptures. But gospel in a cultural sense tends to be something that we use as, well, that was gospel, which means it's true and it's unchanging. Now, that's not wrong, but the word from the scriptures, the word from the Bible that is translated, here's what gospel means. It simply means good news. 
And we see this word, when it is used, it is used with that definition in mind. So let me give you an example. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, the passage is on the screen, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now that was ESV, that's extra spiritual version. Now let's go to nearly inspired version, which is NIV, which we tend to use. It says in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So they tend to be interchangeable depending on translations. So what is this good news that Jesus wants us to believe in? Well, we've been studying this as a church as we were walking through the book of Genesis, which we are putting a pause on for a while. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we were talking about Abram or Abraham, and it says, Abram believed the Lord. And he, being God, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. From Genesis to Revelation, God wants us to have faith to believe him. And it is credited to us or gifted to us as righteousness, which righteousness simply means right standing before God. And while Abraham was to believe God up until that point in history and what God had revealed, you and I, Today, we live in a post-resurrection world that means that all of what we believe about God, all of what we trust in and have faith can be focused on what Jesus has done and what it means for us. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to uh, Greeks, Paul the apostle, and he says it this way, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, meaning not believing God in his life, his death, his resurrection, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. We'll talk more about repentance in a few moments. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Spoiler, it's Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So I'm going to give us a sense of this gospel word, what what we mean when we talk about it from the front or in community groups or in one-on-one relationships, which I don't know if the sense of the gospel is so much a definition, because any definition can be incomplete. But what I'm referring to is when I speak of the gospel, here's what I mean. The gospel is the redemptive plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation, which means all the Bible, revealed revealed in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the redemptive plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation, revealed in the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. If you're trying to write that down, you're like, oh, it's long, just take a picture of it. It's way faster. But even with that type of definition, Paul, in the last passage we just looked to, refers to what we will call the bad news. And the thing about the bad news, and here's what I like about the bad news, is that it accentuates how good the good news really is. So what's the bad news? Well, you all came to church, and I'm going to hopefully make sure we're all on the same page. The bad news is what Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't you hate it when the Bible's all judgy? Like the Bible knows us. Like the creator of heaven and earth and everything and everywhere does know me. He does know you. He knows mankind and big time spoiler, no offense, but you're ordinary, you're sinful. 
Now sin, now let's talk about sin though. Sin tends to be seen as only the big bad stuff like murder and lying and stealing and cheating. Sure, all of those things are sinful, but sin is not an itemized checklist of do's and don'ts. Sin is a heart condition that does not put Jesus central always. So that's how we make it simplistic. Sin is a heart condition of not making Jesus central. Now, I got to be honest, I came here to preach to you, to spend time with you, to hang out with you, to open the word, to shake hands, to love on people, all of that. And I've been sinful today, and I'm the pastor. So pretty good chance you have as well. And the reality is all have sinned. Now, all the way back in the book of Exodus, which is after the book of Genesis, Moses was elected to go up to this mountain to talk with God, and God gave Moses two tablets, not from Apple, that had ten commandments inscribed on them for the Israelites to know how to not get dead and how to love God back through obedience to God's commands. He gives how many commandments? Ten. Good job. See? Test. Well done. And the very first one is what? You shall have no other gods before me, is what God says. And this command, being first, is very useful because essentially if you do this one correctly, all the other commandments are fulfilled. Because when God is central, you do honor your father and mother. You do not murder. You do not steal. You do not covet. But the bad news is simply that none of us keep this command perfectly, let alone the other ones which means that we have a spiritual deficit. And that is the point I'm trying to make. All have sinned, which just means that we're probably going to need some external something to help us with this because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then Paul writes to the church in Rome in 5.12, and he says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, thanks Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So because all have sinned, we need a mediator. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And boy, do I got a good one. Towards the rest of that passage where Jesus said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, he goes on and he says, and all are justified freely by his grace. Note, he doesn't say by trying hard. By his grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, which means Jesus stepped in to get what we deserved. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand and unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So how do we get from bad news to good news? Because we're not going to spend all our time talking about the bad news because our emphasis is the gospel, which is good news. The bad news being that all of us have sinned, all of us have separated ourselves from God, and the good news is that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, he resurrected physically from the dead. How do we get from bad to good? We, by faith, by belief put into action, receive this good news as sufficient to save and sanctify us. Because the gospel saves. The gospel saves. We don't need to try harder to be right in God's eyes. 
We don't have to justify ourselves anymore. We don't have to prop ourselves up in the eyes of others. Let me say that again. We don't have to prop ourselves up in the eyes of others. We don't have to one-up each other in conversation. (sighs) Because we have an identity that is no longer based on how good we can be, but it's based on how good God is to do what he's already done for us. Tim Keller, great first name, is this theologian and pastor uh, on the East Coast, and he puts it this way, and he's just smarter than me. He says, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. Imagine that. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. That's what the gospel does. And the expression of that faith and humility is to make things about Jesus, not about ourselves. Now, for me... Uh, we talked about this in a few passages ago, repentance was brought up, this idea to repent. And I don't know how much repentance was emphasized in my past. I didn't grow up in the church. At 19, some pretty girl invited me to church. I was like, no, 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 you're pretty okay. And I went. And I started to hear people talk about Jesus. But I don't know that repentance was actually talked about. I know I was supposed to believe But repentance either wasn't talked about or maybe I just didn't hear it. And the reality is I absolutely hear stuff all the time that I ignore. How about you? Yeah. But repentance, now here's what I mean by it, is the idea of changing your mind and direction. It is expressive of faith when it is practiced because when we have faith, we want to change direction. To repent means we admit wrongdoing. And to apologize, not just in words, sorry, no, but to turn away from said wrongdoing. To repent means to change your mind and your direction from your sin. But repentance is not what saves us either. It doesn't justify us. Repentance is just the response to grace being received through faith. Because guess who's the one who saves us? Not us, but God. So remember that. So I want you to just think of repentance Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Peter gets up, preaches the least secret sensitive sermon ever. He's like, you all killed Jesus. And here's what he says, or here's what it says in verse 36 of chapter 2. Peter is concluding a sermon, and he says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It means they were convicted. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the crowd asked what they must do, and I'm emphasizing the idea of an action. What must they do? And Peter replies, not with what saves them, which is the correct response to grace, which is faith, but he actually brings up something else. He says, repent and be baptized. Now, hear me. Repentance and baptism does not save you. Repentance and baptism does not save you. You can't do something to be like, now I'm saved. It is God's work who saves you. But if you believe the gospel, 
Repentance, to change direction, to stop thinking of yourself, but to think of God. Repentance is the natural response. And baptism is the first step of identification with Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection. So get to it. If you've trusted Jesus, if you've made a commitment to him, you know that barbecue-looking thing out there? Let's put you in water. Not because it saves you, but because you are identifying with Jesus corporately with his people. And you're saying, hey, hold me accountable. I want to walk and follow, and I intend to follow Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Let us know. I'll wake, Mike gets up at 5 a.m. to fill that thing. I think that's awesome. He'll do it. That's an exciting Sunday. So if you've trusted Jesus, if you've repented, get baptized. Not because it saves you, but because you're identifying with his life, his death, and his resurrection. So how would you do that? Well, there's a card in front of you. Fill out the card and say, hey, I'm interested to hear more about baptism. I'm interested to hear more about Jesus. And then drop it in the box as you leave. But another thing about this gospel that we value and emphasize at Church of the Valley, isn't it doesn't just mean that we share a gospel invitation every week and then pat ourselves on the back and call ourselves faithful. The gospel is much more important and necessary to what we say and do. Daniel, one of our elders, let's, let's point him out. Where's Daniel? Would you raise your hand? There's Daniel. He's like, hi. One of our elders, he made, and he's part of our teaching team, and he's going to preach in, a, in a, about a little over a month. He said it this way at lunch, and it was sushi, and it was great. All right? That has nothing to do with the story. Here's what he said. If the gospel changes everything, everything should point us back to it. If the gospel changes everything, everything should point us back to it. And so when we open the scriptures, we read it and we understand it in light of the gospel. When we handle our finances in light of the gospel, when we interact with other people, it's with the gospel of grace as our filter. The gospel is not a canned message that everyone should just recite. The gospel message is about a person who forgives us of our sins and offers us a new identity in him. So remember that identity word because we're going to spend some time in that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it is the tattoo verse. I recommend it. If you're like, I need a tattoo, this is a good one. Maybe not the whole thing, it's long. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God in his redemptive plan didn't say, you know, Helena, if only you try hard enough, if only you are good enough, you can be made right with me. Instead, he said, I will sacrifice myself so you don't have to work to get to me. But believe that I have already come to you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this is known as the great exchange. That Jesus got what I deserve, and I get what he deserves. When I actually acknowledge, when I actually remember and think about this idea that God traded his life for mine, it stirs affection for him in my soul. It stirs worship and want to praise him, not just in singing songs, but by serving him. Because I know I could never ever do enough to earn what he has already freely given me. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the disciple whom Jesus loved says, we love because he first loved us. That's a little shorter. You can tattoo that. It is this affection for Christ that we want to stir up each week. When we gather, 
when we want to read and teach and apply this book, we do it with the gospel as our focus and our filter because without Jesus doing what he did, we have nothing to connect us to God other than religious works that Paul said were, and I'll, I'll be careful, he said they were like dung. You're welcome, PG. Unless done in response to what Christ has already done for you. But the reality of this gospel message it is, it might be excused as a fairy tale by some. It might make others uncomfortable or even angry that our identity can, and I'd even say should, be found in God and his love for you rather than your effort, rather than your sexuality, your race, your political affiliation, your gender, your children, your spouse, your favorite sports team, or technology, because Christ is the only one who does not crumble under the pressure and weight of being one's identity. Amen. You want to know how I identify? I just made everyone uncomfortable. I'm a child of God's, redeemed by the person and work of Jesus Christ, given to me by grace, received through faith, and he is who I live for, not my family not my job, not my ethnicity or my ability to excel or earn. I am also an Irish heterosexual husband to Aaron, father to, wait, take a breath, Reagan, Lorelei, Evangeline, Boston, and Finley. I love the Red Sox, the Golden State Warriors, and the 49ers. I'm registered as an independent with my identity being found in Christ. All of that still can be true, but Jesus is whose I am. Not any of that other stuff, because each of those things not only will disappoint, but I will disappoint them. And yet in Christ, I am loved perfectly. I am made holy, and I am saved and sanctified through Christ's work, not my own. It's almost like the gospel is not about me. It's about Jesus. So while all of this information that I'm giving you, it can really sound like we're emphasizing the mind or the head and we will. Next week, we'll walk through the reason Christians do what they do, the reason that we believe at Church of the Valley that the gospel is worth it, which when I became a Christian 21 years ago, I, it seemed to be lacking in most of the people that I spoke with who identified as Christians. They seemed to not really know why they believed. They just grew up in the church. They just heard these things and they believed. But next week, we're going to point out why we believe. But today is about affection that God has for us and the affection we're able to have for him. Not because it earns us heaven. It doesn't. Heaven is already guaranteed in Christ. But because this life of ours was bought with the price of Jesus dying in my place, and the least I can do is to receive this grace by living by faith and to love God back because of what he has done for me. Side note. The gospel, the redemptive plan of salvation, is not limited to just salvation. And what I mean is that the gospel doesn't just save us, it sanctifies us. The gospel saves and it sanctifies. In the third week of this series, we will discuss hands, spirit, spirit fingers. Let's go. Come on. Anyone? Just me? All right, cool. Third week of the series, we will discuss hands, or really spiritual growth, which is an emphasis here at Church of the Valley, not because it justifies us, it doesn't, but because of the beauty of that sanctification, which is what spiritual growth is, is evidence of justification. Because when we receive the grace of God, 
we don't stay the same. So the gospel saves us, it sanctifies us, but the gospel also seals us. It seals us. In Ephesus, Paul's writing to a church called, or we call it the book of Ephesians. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul says that you and I were included in Christ when? When we heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we did what with it? We believed. And we were marked with the seal, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who resides in us. When we, by faith, trust Christ and his work on our behalf, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is our deposit of our guarantee that we are God's possession and he is our God. But being sealed means that it won't be broken. And we are a new creation that has been, hear me, repurposed for God's glory. And this seal, the seal is a stamp of ownership. Being God's possession means we are seen in light of Jesus. No longer our failings, no longer our regrets. In Ephesians chapter 2, we always joke, it's not a gospel sermon unless you quote Ephesians 2. But this is so important. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. What can you do when you're dead? Nothing. You stink. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by getting what you do not deserve that you have been saved. And God, here's what I want to emphasize, God raised us up with Christ raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He raised, past tense, us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in this kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, believing the gospel by faith means that we are no longer seen by God in our historical or even current sinful form. But when God looks at us, when God sees us, he sees his son. He sees his son's perfection. He sees his son's work on the cross. He sees his son's resurrection from the dead. God sees our sins forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. And now I live not in the light of my sin being my identity, but in Jesus being my identity. Hallelujah. So when I fail, which I do often, I don't know about you, but I do, God doesn't write down my transgression and then ask Jesus to die for it again. It's been paid for. And God sees Jesus's perfect record, not my record that is full of red marks. And so now I can live in freedom rather than achievement. Because the gospel is received, not achieved. The gospel is received, not achieved. So the gospel saves, it sanctifies, it seals, and then lastly, it is shared. It is to be shared. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That doesn't mean stub your toe and yell his name. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel. Sharing the gospel, or we call it evangelism, it can sound kind of scary. Now, I fed my family as a missionary for many years, training people primarily in the Bay Area on how to engage people with the gospel without being weird or pushy or having this thing that I was taught as a kid, you may have heard of it, manners. Uh, The reality is that as a Christian, or little Christs, as the term was originally used, we like Christ are on mission. Theologians call it the unfinished work of Christ. Christ's finished work is his death on the cross, resurrection from the dead, so we can trust him. But his unfinished work is that we have the responsibility and opportunity to share our faith with others. And where we share with others the impact and we testify, you guys can say it, testify. There you go, good job. To what God has done in our lives and introduce others to Jesus. I never, ever want us to be a community that loses this fervor. For the fact that because we have embraced God's grace, we too can share God's grace with others. And we ought to be prepared with an answer when asked about the hope that we have. So we quote this verse a lot. 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord, Christians. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Evangelism. Sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, introducing people to Jesus isn't as scary or reliant upon us as we may think. We don't get an extra level of heaven based on how many people we lead to Christ. Rather, we, in response to God's grace, want others to hear about how good God is to save wretches like us. And instead of feeling like people's eternal salvation are up to us, preparation and willingness is our responsibility. Preparation and willingness is our responsibility, but the results are up to God. So I hope that you take that pressure off of your shoulders. For me, to be prepared when the opportunity presents itself is far less scary and intimidating than feeling like we're on the hook for everyone walking down the street and their spiritual beliefs. Oh, that guy's walking a dog. Have you met Jesus? Don't do that. So to share Jesus, To share the gospel, you must know Jesus. You must know the gospel. And honestly, we as a church don't have the most exciting aesthetic, do we? Like most of our lights don't work, just saying. We don't have a ton of entertainment value, even though you guys sounded amazing. But I can promise you that as a church, whenever you come here, you will hear the gospel And we'll be invited to follow Jesus any and every time we gather, because if the gospel changes everything, everything should point to it. And we don't want to become more moralistic, theologically deep, and less worldly if the gospel isn't the reason for our transformation. So the gospel saves. It sanctifies, it seals, and it is shared. And we emphasize it because without the finished work of Christ, no one anywhere has an opportunity to be justified before God. The reason we exist, the reason I am not in the corporate world anymore to feed my family is because Jesus really did rise from the dead. 
And the, that fact, that changed my world. That changed my worldview. It validated the idea that God really became man, that he really lived among us. He sacrificed his, himself for the sins of many. And if that is true, that is where my identity, my right standing, and my life can be centered on. I'm in. And we invite you to be in as well. I'm with Jesus. I don't need to strive to earn more. I bow down and I praise the one who in his grace gave me a way to him. And we as a church want nothing more than you to know and grow in Jesus Christ. So I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, before that tattoo verse, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at that. He saved us and then he gave us something to do. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We rep Jesus as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I've known way too many people that have grown up in the church and have wanted to learn how to share Jesus, but they never met him. He has given us this message of reconciliation, but first we must receive it by faith. A.B. Simpson said it this way about the gospel. He's a theologian. He says, Tell, the gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. That's what I want. And that's what I want for all of us. Church, we don't think we are special because we emphasize the gospel through the word of God, no less. We actually think we're quite ordinary because we do what the scriptures point out that our emphasis ought to be as God's church. Uh, confession, I think earlier on in my ministry, I felt a sense of pride because I felt like I knew what to do when everyone else seemed to be emphasizing something else or someone else. I don't think that's still the case. It might be. But I know as for me in this community, we will praise the Lord through the preaching of his redemptive plan in all of scripture. George Whitfield said it this way, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. And ain't that the truth? And so church, please don't wonder if we're gonna preach the gospel or if we'll only do it on Christmas Eve and Easter. Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians do because the gospel saves, it sanctifies, it seals, and it is to be shared. Worship team, would you come on up? I didn't know how to conclude the sermon. I was sitting in my office. I was kind of, I usually leave the conclusion for like morning of. I just like to do that. And I didn't know what to say, and I, I, I felt myself a little frustrated with some things that I've been dealing with, and if you want to know, tough. <laughs> um, but the gospel holds such a weight in my life. The work of Jesus makes me right with God, and the message of the good news is more than a cure to cancer. It's more than winning the lottery. It is more than a better life. 
The message of the gospel is life itself. In this one and the next, we have the opportunity to be with God through trusting the gospel message of Jesus' finished work. What we do when it comes to the gospel is more important than who we vote for, more important than what colleges our kids go to. And I've made a commitment to this message of the gospel, to the personal work of Jesus, who I have put my identity in. And I, I just want to be real. I've had moments where I get so frustrated that people don't get it or maybe aren't as serious about it as maybe I think I am. But the truth is, I wasn't always serious about it. In fact, I may look back 10 years from now, if the Lord allows me to live that long, and realize I wasn't as serious about the gospel today as I thought I was. So church, guess what? We're all in process. And that process is something we want to invite you into here at Church of the Valley, which is to be invited to follow Jesus through the understanding more and more of the good news of grace, the gospel of grace, and to help one another grow. Because, but growth in and of itself is not the point. Jesus is. But the more we pursue and the more we are humbled by the message and work of Jesus the more we will resemble and live for him. That is our emphasis here at Church of the Valley. So I invite you to join us as we make everything we can about him and his life and his death and his resurrection and the invitation that he offers. Let us pray. <sighs> Father, if, if someone came into this place today struggling with the fact that they've put their identity in what they do, put their identity in their family, put their identity in some other external thing. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you'd free them of that. I pray that they'd see the beauty of what it means to lay their identity in the arms of a Savior. I pray, God, that that would stir affection in us. Not that we would sing with our hands lifted high, that that would be the only way that we respond, but that our lives would be changed by it, God, and that we would trust you and we would walk with you and we would follow you. But God, that's gonna have nothing to do with what I say. That's gonna be about your work and not mine. So God, I ask that you do that amongst the people here today. And I pray that we would be a people that want to make things about the finished work of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.